Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The sermon today is based on the gospel ring that we just heard. Matthew's gospel as a whole is a fascinating and detailed description of the Christian life, every burdensome aspect of it. In today's lesson, after laying it all out there, Jesus essentially asked his disciples, Are you in or are you out? This is the defining moment, he claims. You now know everything that bearing my name entails, and now you must make a decision. His exact command is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as far as I know, every one of you, by God's grace alone, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has been brought to faith in Christ and bear the name Christian. By the working of that same Spirit, you've also decided to cling to that faith and strive to live the Christian life. Now, if your experience has been anything like mine, this has not been easy. In fact, I often find myself asking if it is all even worthwhile. I regret that quite often my answer to that question is no, and I end up throwing away the opportunity to do Christ's will. But what really gets me is that even when, by God's grace, I do make the right decisions in life and live faithfully, the outcome can be terribly burdensome. I'm sure that most of you have had the same experience. You can't seem to win even when you do the right thing. Today I would like to explore exactly what it is that Christ expects of us and the burdens that naturally follow. In addition, I hope to give you the encouragement that, difficult as it may be, living the Christian life is indeed worthwhile. It seems to me that in the Gospel of Matthew, one finds two general aspects to God's design for his people, living up to his expectations and calling for others to do the same. Now, I want to make it clear that uh, as sinful human beings, accomplishing this will never be done perfectly. Therefore, the Christian life in this fallen world will be one of contrition, repentance, and forgiveness until the day that Christ returns. This is pleasing to God, and a very important aspect of self-denying, cross-bearing, and Christ-following. But Lutherans have a tendency to focus on this aspect alone and ignore the fact that there are other aspects to the life that God has designed for us. To find out exactly what these are, we need only to flip back a few chapters in Matthew for the best sermon ever written on the topic, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In reading it, one notices very quickly that every one of these expectations seem to go against human nature. They seem downright impossible at times, and we naturally reject them. For example, in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And a few verses later, Blessed are the meek. Now, these are two characteristics that are considered undesirable in today's society, not to mention they are extremely difficult to maintain. Consider how difficult it would be to make it through your most frustrating work week while maintaining meekness and a poor spirit. Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful. This is especially tough when we are the ones who have been wronged. Yet, even when our offender deserves the worst, we are called to be merciful to him or her. Matthew 6.19 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. How easy it is for us to be blinded by the glitz and glamour of earthly possessions and personal wealth, all the while neglecting the more important things in life. Warning against a more sneaky form of materialism, we have Matthew 6.25 Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. God wants us to rely on him alone and trust that he will provide. Now, all these expectations for the Christian life are difficult enough to maintain, but it just gets worse from here. 
As you know, there are plenty of other expectations that, when fulfilled, come with burdensome consequences. For example, again from the Sermon on the Mount, 539, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Think about this one. It is difficult enough to keep our cool and not retaliate in anger when good people do us wrong, but here we are commanded to do the same with evil people. The consequence? Will our enemies see our humility, realize his error, and apologize? Well, not necessarily. When we turn the other cheek, there is a good chance our other cheek will be slapped as well. The following verse is another way of saying the same thing. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Then we have Matthew 5.42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, here we learn that we are to not only trust that God will provide us with what we need and refrain from stockpiling possessions in order to achieve a sense of security, but we are to also show greater concern that the needs of others are being fulfilled. The consequence? Will we be rewarded with greater earthly possessions? Well, not necessarily. In fact, it is quite possible we will have to live with less as a result of our generosity. Matthew 5.44 Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here we are commanded to care for those who hate us and wish the best for them. Again, there is no guarantee that our loving attitude and actions will change our enemies' attitudes and actions toward us. That is left to the Holy Spirit. If he does not turn their hearts, our kindness may very well set us up for more hurt. There are many more difficult expectations within the Sermon on the Mount, but these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the burdens of the Christian life. I recognize this. The second part of God's design for us hits a little bit closer to home. Keeping our actions in check is one thing, but expecting others to do the same is quite another. We know who Christ is, what he has done, and what he expects of us, but others do not. Jesus' charge to his disciples, and his charge to us, is to lovingly but boldly defend and proclaim all these things, even if it kills us. This is particularly difficult when dealing with those that we love. I don't know about you, but the idea of a wedge being driven between me and my loved ones kills me. How about you? Is someone close to you comfortable with a particular sin, perhaps a sinful addiction or a sinful lifestyle? What do you do? Do you hold your tongue around that person to keep the peace in your relationship? Or do you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Christ? Do you have a loved one that has decided, along with much of society, that, well, there's more than one valid path to salvation, cheapening Christ's death? Well, if so, you're faced with a decision. Do you risk ruining your relationship with this loved one by speaking the truth in love? Or do you go on loving them to their own condemnation? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 35-37, some difficult words. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus recognizes the potential of broken relationships that he brings 
Brothers and sisters, it is not enough that these loved ones of ours simply know how we feel about their sinful beliefs or sinful actions. As difficult as it is, we need to continually verbalize it in love. Knowing the consequences, wouldn't you want them to do the same for you? Be prepared. Your words of love will either soften or harden their hearts. Know the life of a Christian is not easy. It is one of self-denial, cross-bearing, and Christ-following. In one sense, it is really no life at all, but rather a continual death, but everything within us that opposes it. So what makes this self-sacrifice worthwhile? Well, the answer is the reward. Life is promised for all who die. Verses 25 to 26 of our text read, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? Or the other translation we heard earlier said soul. The reward of life that these verses speak of is not a life of physical existence. It is a life in Christ, both temporal and eternal. The Apostle Paul speaks of a transition from being dead to sin to alive in Christ. This first took place in our baptisms, where we are intimately connected with Christ's death. This is why it is said that baptism is a drowning, a drowning of our sinful nature. Yet, as I have attempted to make clear today, this dying must not stop at our baptisms, but continue as we walk the difficult life of a Christian day by day. Matthew 7.14 reads, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. This was certainly Jesus' experience. He didn't want to go through all the trials, suffering, and death that his father asked of him. In fact, he even prayed to take this cup away from me as he sweated drops of blood and anguish. But he did all that he did anyway because he loves us and because he is an obedient son. As we accept his invitation to follow, we can expect the same outcomes that he faced. For example, when Jesus was approached by a violent band of officials in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have called down legions of angels to strike them down, but he didn't. Instead, he followed his own rules, turned the other cheek, and was arrested because of it. We can expect the same difficult outcome when we turn the other cheek. Jesus enraged the Pharisees when he called them out on their sin, and he made them bloodthirsty when he proclaimed the truth that he was the Son of God. Again, we can expect the same when we call out others on their sin, or boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God by whom all are saved. We can expect the same violent reactions that Christ received as a result of faithful living. Interestingly, if you take a step back, you will find out that our lives, when faithfully lived out, end up looking very much like the one that Christ suffered. Now, the best part of this message, brothers and sisters, is that the comparison between Christ's life and ours does not stop at his suffering and death. Yes, he died for his obedience, and so do we, but we can also rejoice in the assurance of our reward. Because Christ was given his promised reward in his resurrection, we may look forward to our own promised resurrection without a doubt. Because Christ was vindicated, we know that we will be too. In that day, there will be no more self-denying, because we will have no more sinful nature in ourselves to plague us. In that day, we will be no, there will be no more cross-bearing because evil and corruption will have been wiped off the face of the earth. 
And in that day there will be no more painful Christ following because we, with him, will have reached our destination, an existence of peace, harmony, and fellowship with him. Brothers and sisters, do not be concerned that living the Christian life will be too difficult. As difficult as it is, we have been given the same tool that empowered Christ to walk the exact same road. You see, Jesus did not give us these expectations and then leave us empty-handed. He would not do such a thing, having been through it all himself. Rather, he has poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. That's you and me. The same Holy Spirit that gave him strength to face the Pharisees. The same Holy Spirit that gave him strength to boldly proclaim who he was. And the same Holy Spirit that gave him strength to endure the cross. It is in his power that we all seek to follow Christ's lead and steadfastly endure the burdens that Christ has placed before us until the day of his promised return. Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, having clothed us with Christ through the indwelling of your Spirit, empower us through the same to take up his cross daily, that we may participate in the true life that you have designed for us both now and forever. Amen.